We are straight-talking Southern girls in our 50s, and that's what you're going to get. Welcome to Ladies Roadmap. I'm Joe Jamie Tyler. And I'm Lana Helda. Come along for the ride as we travel and connect with accomplished women and thought-provoking subjects that will motivate and spark you to dream, laugh, and get the most out of your daily life. We are so excited today because we have a very unique guest on. You know, Joe Jamie, you and I talk about ourselves as being independent women and that we are very much nomadic. We've moved around the country. But our guest today, Angela Carson, she puts a whole new spin on living an unconventional life. And like we were talking about earlier, <laughs> we were so excited about having her on because she's an expat living in Kuala Lumpur. She's lived in all over the country. We're going to let her tell us all about it. But as we were saying, how many people do you know that are an expat? So yeah, I don't know any expats. So welcome expat Angela. We can't wait for you to tell us (laughs) all about your adventures. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Angela, we were just wondering, you know, you, you, you consider yourself, we'll tell you a little bit about yourself. You're a digital marketing expert. You've lived so many places and you consider in your websites, Wander with Angela, you're an expat. What is an expat? Okay. So I have this, <clears throat> excuse my voice. I've been a little under the weather. Um, so I, I have this, this problem with the word expat as well, because for me, I feel like I'm called an expat because I encompass a, a certain profile. I, have, I fit into a certain socioeconomic group. I come from a developed first world country. And people under that umbrella tend to be expats, where if, if I was the exact same person, but I was coming from Nigeria, I would be an immigrant. So it's, it's a little bit tough for me because I, I am an expat, but I think that the connotations and, and the there's probably a new word that needs to be invented for migrants like me. But I would agree, but that that's super interesting. You know, I never thought of that, that really you too are an immigrant, right? No, no, no I, I am. And I've been an illegal immigrant, unemployed, like every negative stereotype that you hear of immigrants in the U.S., I have been that. I have been blacklisted from countries. I've actually been asked to leave and deported twice from India. Okay, but before, before we go to that, because people are going to be saying, what the heck? <laughs> Let's start back. I want to, start, I want to go back okay. a little bit. And I want, to, I want you to tell us, first of all, I want all of you to know that Angela has a YouTube website called Wonder with Angela. And there you can see all about what she does and her travels. But I want you to tell us, if you would, how you first left the country. How did that happen? And where are you from in the U.S.? Okay, I'm from uh, Southern California. I was born in L.A. And then when I was about 10, my mom moved us out to Redlands, um, which is about an hour, hour inland. But that's, that's where I lived up until I was 19. And then I piled everything into a U-Haul and moved to Newport Beach. Um, from there, I moved the first time when I was 21. I had been on holiday in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And I met this cute boy named Danielle, who was a travel agent. And I left university. I was going to UCI. I popped everything into my Jeep Wrangler, and I moved to Puerto Vallarta. 
So okay, so was, you, you started your, your gypsy life quite young. Quite young and quite stupidly. Um, <laughs> that one I, I regretted. I, I came back with my tail between my legs within about two months. Um, it was really, really dangerous and not a place for a blonde girl on her own. And, yeah, your, um, your mother must have been so worried about you. <laughs> oh, and I never called home to check on her. Oh. I her I was okay. I'd call like once every two weeks and she didn't sleep. I know she worried so much. And now that you have a daughter, you would never, you would die if your daughter did that, right? Actually, no. My daughter <laughs> is very much like me. Um, the first summer she went to uni, um, we were living Wait, in- what's Indiana. uni? Oh, What's university. Sorry, I lived in Europe for 20 years. They speak a different language and they call it university, not college or the university. They call it university, right? Exactly. Yeah, her first summer between uh, her first and second year, she took a nanny job in Italy. She flew to Paris to visit friends. She took the train to run around Europe. The next summer, she was in Bolivia. It, yeah. She, well, you started that, you know, you started that. I have other friends who've done that, you know, and, and, uh, and us as well. And Joe Jamie has done the same thing. I mean, actually our lives are more parallel than you know, and it's not about me, so I'm not going to go into that, but Joe Jamie <laughs> and I both did the same thing with our children. And so they are, they'll just jump on a plane and go. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, which I thought was great was you actually went and toured in India with Guns N' Roses. So how old were you then? Okay, so that was just a few years ago. Uh, that was the end of 2012, December 2012. I was living in India. My daughter and I were living in India. We had moved from Barcelona. And I was a digital marketer, and I had made certain contacts. And the ex-CEO of Apple India took a new job. And he went to a company that was the promoter for Guns N' Roses when they came over. And I landed the entire account to do all of the digital marketing and social media for them. And I toured with the band. It was epically fun. I, can I bet. Still, <clears throat> I can still remember the goosebumps on my arm. You know, those first riffs of Welcome to the Jungle, the very first song. It was so amazing. So we, we've jumped all around. We've jumped all around. So I kind of want to try to get us back on the track a little bit. Okay. Let's start with, okay, you went to Puerto Verte, then you came back. Let's start with when you really became an official expat and what was it that actually took you to Asia? Because you've been living in Asia for how long? Now, I've been in Asia since 2011. Um, I moved the next summer after Mexico to Europe and I ended up living in Spain for a total of 12 years. Okay, so that's where you spent most of your time. And how did you end up going to Spain? Okay, I did not tell my parents this, but I bought a one-way ticket to Amsterdam because that was the least expensive ticket I could find. I had a backpack and rollerblades, and I made my way down on, on the train um, to Spain. And the north of Spain was too cold. We kept moving around, and someone finally said, oh, you need to go to Barcelona. It's warm. There's this great little town south of Barcelona where you can find work for the summer. And that was that. I ended up meeting my ex-husband at the end of summer that first, that first summer, and I was with him for about four years, and my daughter was born, and then after that, we moved back to the U.S. for a few years. Um, we divorced when she was quite young, and yeah, then I went back to Spain again, and then from there to Asia. It was you know, um, India. We had, 
We've had a lot of guests that do a lot of interesting things. And I just want to say if I'm right about this, doing some research on you, I hear that one of your jobs in Spain was a go-go dancer. (laughs) Okay. Joe, Jamie, you, okay. So Joe, Jamie and I have a common friend and she actually came to visit me back in like 1992, 1993. And I was a go-go dancer at this really cool club right on the beach in Barcelona and it's not a stripper. It was like very, they even, okay, this is quite funny. I was very American. I had Ugg boots, rollerblades. I wore purple spandex leggings and I just thought I was super cute. (laughs) No, I dressed so ridiculously. The owner of the club actually gave me money and begged someone to take me out shopping to properly dress me. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'd show up in like a cowboy hat and my friend had brought over some things that I didn't take with me on my initial trip to Spain. So I ended up with a whole new trunk of cowboy boots and things like that. So yeah, I just thought I was super cute in my kicky American clothes and they were just not having it. No, not in Europe. Well, you know, you, you definitely were a little rebel, weren't you? Yeah. Or still is probably. (laughs) Hi, mom. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I, I see. Yeah. It's, I, I live my own real life, but to me, my real life still doesn't feel like what I remember from being that feeling of being a little bit caged and living that real life. Well, let's talk about your real life right now, because this is the part that when you read what you do, which is you are a luxury, how how do you say what you are? You're a luxury traveler or solo traveler, right? So that's a bit more like a hobby. And I have a very good hobby. I am a luxury travel writer for magazines like Esquire, Condé Nast Traveler, Um, female magazine, which is like a hybrid Vogue slash glamour. And I, I do, I do write some political pieces as well, but that aside, then I also have my own channel. So I have my own YouTube channel and blog and I am sent to the Maldives to the four seasons for a week to try out a couple of their properties. And I travel, I travel all around Asia. I've stayed very niche and very focused here. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a blessing. And I have some really good sponsors. So I'm given luxury travel gear, vlogging gear, camera gear. And yeah, it's a, it's and you a great little stay, hobby. Yeah, you get to stay at the Four Seasons. And, 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 and the, your job is to video yourself having a fabulous time. So ladies, if you want to live Angela's fantasy life, <laughs> For yourself, this is what I do for fun is I go on Wonder Angela's YouTube. I follow her on Instagram and I just binge watch all her, her videos because it's you just are so sweet. No, it is really fun. It is. It is. You're, and your Instagrams are great and fun. And you, you look at it and it definitely does look like a fantasy life. And the fact that you get paid to do it is a great hobby. Well, and I try to give back to, I've, I've really started changing my channel lately to give more tips and to give more feedback and not just be, look at me, look at me, but kind of, you know, so you're interested in being a solo traveler. So you're 40 something and have never done this before. Here's how you get yourself out the door. And, and I'm starting to try on Instagram and, and more on YouTube to, to, to help people because I know that, especially women in, in certain countries, I think American women, we don't see it so much. But there are lots of women around the world who just 
don't feel empowered to grab a piece of luggage and get out the door. Tell us a little bit about, you know, now that you're living over in another country and you also have your digital marketing uh, business, how does that work? Do you work with clients all over the world, mostly America, or do you work with more Asian companies? No, so I do have clients all over the world. And what I've done over the past few years, because I I did work with high-tech startups. I was a chief marketing officer for technology companies since the beginning of my career. And and I did love that. Um, I've had some random things, like I worked for Guns N' Roses. I also worked for China's number two pop star, and I handled her communications. But it started getting to the point where I wanted to do a bit more of my own thing, and I didn't want to be tied down. So I'm now what you call location independent because there's a lot of digital nomad, that term going around. And I was a digital nomad for a while, but I I didn't enjoy it. So now I'm location independent. I can basically go to the Maldives tomorrow and I can still get the job done and do everything I need to do. And I handle client social media accounts. I have a team in Bangladesh and I build websites for companies that just look amazing. And I do workshops, one-on-one workshops with small businesses, um, celebrities, or entrepreneurs who want to leverage digital marketing to generate more leads, generate more sales, and to better communicate with people on social media because everything has changed recently. And most people, if, if you don't have someone quite senior. You can't compete unless you have a lot of money to spend on advertising. So where, where I really have the most fun is with the workshops, but I do have some clients around the world with social media and I build web, like maybe one or two websites a month as well. Well, you've managed to really create your own world, your own life and your own lifestyle, which is amazing. But like, what are some of the benefits? Um, or I should say, let's say, what are some of the pros and cons of living as an expat or living outside of the country? Yeah, it's, um, well, I recently, okay, I'll give you the cons first. Um, basically, I, I had an accident about two months ago and I didn't have health insurance and I dislocated my knee. I fractured my ankle. It was quite expensive. So um, I think not having a job and having not yet secured an expat health insurance um, was a big lesson for me. So there's, there's negatives like not having that stability and security. I think if you do the digital nomad thing or the location independent thing, the biggest, the biggest negative is not always knowing how much is coming in at the end of the month. And I have a daughter in university. I pay for her beer, her apartment, her university fees and mine. So it's, it's been trying and, and it's, it, it, it does become a challenge. Um, making friends is another one. You know, it, it takes time when you get to a new city. Um, sex, like I'm single. So for me, I, I don't want a boyfriend. I don't want to be tied down. But I also have to think, in some countries I've, I've played around, I'll, if I want to have sex, I'd have sex. If you, as I start to get older, I really don't want to do that quite as much. So I find that I make choices based on the fact that I don't want to get into a relationship. So if I just don't put myself in that situation, I don't have to worry about it. I'd say those are kind of the negatives. Positives are amazing. You generally have, well, especially if you're living in a country like I am. Um, No, that's not true. Okay, even in Barcelona, India, Beijing, 
I travel more. I travel a lot. Um, in Barcelona, my daughter and I would go on trips every couple of months. I do something maybe once a month with friends. Um, in Southeast Asia, I've traveled quite extensively as well. So I and think... Is it less expensive or is it just that it's so much easier to get around with the train systems and, and, the, and everything's closer? I think in Europe, it was a lot of cheap flights and countries are so close. Here, it's less expensive generally. I lived in Hong Kong and my rent used to be 4,500 US dollars a month. Um, I just moved from Hong Kong about two years ago and that was crazy. I had never spent, even in Beijing when I lived there, I hadn't spent that much on, on rent. Um, so it's not always less expensive. It depends on where you're visiting. But I think, especially if you have children or you're a single mom and you have kids, um, I guess that's what a single mom is. <laughs> um, it, it's, it opens up a world of acceptance and it shows kids from such a young age that they're just a small part of a big, beautiful world. And you don't see racism and kind of ingrained inherent traits as you do with, with families or children who've lived in one town their entire life or around the same people who look like them. So I, I think there's lots of benefits. And, and yeah, I, I recommend it to anyone. And I think one thing that keeps people is um, the language barrier. What have you done about that? Yeah, I suppose that is true. Well, I think it depends on if you're moving over for a proper job, which I, I had always done. Up until two years ago, I had always moved to a country for a role I was taking. So I would get a job first, and then a local startup would bring me over. Um, and and with, with startups, you generally don't have to speak the language. But I never did. When I lived in Spain, I was fluent in Spanish. So that did help, but it wasn't a prerequisite with any of the jobs I had, nor in India, nor in China, nor in Hong Kong, and not here. Yeah, but, a lot of those countries, the English is still a primary language, right? Well, in the sector that I was playing in, I, I think if you work in insurance or financial services or something, something a bit more specific, you know, healthcare, um, you probably would need to speak the local language as well. But, but yeah, I, I didn't encounter that because of what I did. And I think if you're location independent or a digital nomad, that that's not a barrier at all because you play in the expat playground anyway, because you'd be doing your own thing, really. I was going to ask you, uh, before we got on, the, on our recording, you were sharing with us an incredible story about getting banned from um, a country. <laughs> so yeah. we want to share that with you. We want you to share that with our la ladies because I really think this was an amazing lesson to learn. No, so India, um, I worked for a company. I was the very first foreigner that they had ever hired. And they in turn didn't do everything right. And I found out that they had been for almost two years taking my taxes out, but never paying it to the government because they hadn't applied for me to have basically the Indian equivalent of a social security number. And so when I went to renew my visa in the second year, um, they said, oh, we need your PAN card and your taxes. And I said, oh, you didn't need that last year. And he's like, no, no, that's because it was the first year after one year, then you have to show that. And I said, okay, let, let me go back and get it. And I went back and, and my office just said, oh no, we didn't do that. And I said, 
what? And so I went back to the immigration officers and they're like, that's okay. Just apply for the pen card, come back and, and you'll be fine. I said, okay. So we started applying. It took almost five months to actually get the social security number and to do all of that. When I went back, they said, look, you're five months um, over on your visa. You've overstayed. If it had been under three months, we could have done something for you, but this is five. We can't do anything. At that point, my daughter and I, and she had just finished up uh, her IB program. She was about to go on to university. They wouldn't let us leave the country at first. We had to have police visits. We had to go into the police, um, uh, sorry, the police, where do the police go for work? Um, the, <laughs> the, the, um, the police, police station. station. The police <laughs> station. Oh my God, so blonde. <laughs> Thank you. So blonde. We all do this. Um, we would have to go in and pay bribes to the police because every day they had to write a report saying we hadn't broken the law. So finally, after about 10 days, we went back in. They finally did all of the paperwork and we thought they were going to let us stay and that, that we had overcome some hurdle. And they just put these big stamps in our passport and it said you'd overstayed. I was banned for five years. So this month is the first month that I'd be able to return to India. And how do you feel about it? How do you feel about India now? I'm just curious. The thing is, they didn't tell me. They they actually told me to go home, get a new visa and come back. And I did that. And I went back to the U.S. for a month, saw my brother and sister family, um, came back, and they basically turned me around at immigration after that long flight, you know, two months flight. That's terrible. So, yeah, I I started falling out of love a little bit with India at that point. Um, I would think so. There are so many things you have to deal with. I mean, just traveling for pleasure, there are so many roadblocks and and issues that can come up that you have to deal with. Are you just a really easygoing person and you just sort of go with the flow? Yeah, more or less. I mean, <laughs> now, now I do it on a very posh level. Um, you know, I have, I have gorgeous $1,000 luggage that has been sponsored to me and I, I stay at lovely places. But yeah. and it's your hot. It's what you do. <laughs> so you just relax and flow with it. That's good. I think you have to when you travel. No, it's I nice. I was just going to say, I really do think, though, this is a great reality check for people that to, to say, you know, get your insurance. Make sure that you don't take anything for granted that someone says they're going to be doing something that they really are going to be doing it. Just being super aware of being in control of what you can be in control of. Yeah, you have to be diligent about everything. You cannot really assume anyone's going to take care of anything for you. I mean, it's nice. We'd like to, but it typically comes back and bites you you in the hiney. I do take responsibility for that because I should have cared more to double check that I was in compliance without assuming that they knew. But I was just kind of so nonchalant about everything because it just, in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have imagined a penalty like what I paid. Yeah, no matter what, you who would have thought you're a company, a legit company, wouldn't be paying their ta- your taxes? You know, who just, I would never have even assumed no, that. I mean, no, totally that's, innocent. Yeah, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, it was terrible. Well, you know, going back, you know, you said it's difficult to make friends and, and or it takes time, let's say, maybe not difficult, but it does take time to make friends and trust people and, and have those bonds. So when you do or if you do get lonely, what do you do? Do you just pack up your bag and go on a trip? Or how do you, how do you deal with that? 
Yeah, there's been a couple of times. Um, actually, okay, uh, there's a caveat to that. Up until my daughter left for university, I, I had really made a conscious decision not to date because I wanted all of my time with her. It was just she and I, and she was just the apple of my eye, the sunshine of my day. And so I was never really, really lonely because I had her. When she left, it, it hit me really hard. And I realized I had empty nest syndrome. In fact, I have, I have two, I have a personal blog as well called Expat Angela. And there's a piece on there that I wrote about empty nest syndrome. And it's one of the most popular posts on my site because people search for that. Mm -hmm. And I was really down. And this was in Hong Kong. I was in between jobs. And the first time it really hit me when I didn't, I didn't have a lot of good friends in Hong Kong. It was the first place I moved where I was a little bit on the solo side. And I basically didn't leave my condo for almost five weeks and I was just ordering groceries in, ordering food in, ordering lots of wine in. And at the end of it, I kind of realized it, there was one day and it just hit me. Oh my gosh, this is because of Alina. I, I miss her so much. And I was just like, okay, psh, psh, that's it. I packed my luggage and I went for two months to Bali. I figured I could wait and, you know, apply for jobs there, just like I was applying for jobs in Hong Kong. And that was my, that was my remedy. I've done that twice now, but. That is a great story. Um, I was just thinking when you were talking about that, how my sister and brother-in-law uh, moved to France for three years. And the interesting thing for them was, or the hard part for them was, uh, even though they had each other, uh, my brother-in-law is really has a really great sense of humor, and he loves to tell jokes. And he found that it was really hard to go for three years with telling a joke and nobody laughing. So the, the French are a little tough, anyway. But yeah, if if you're doing it multi-language or having to to kick that gear around, I could I could see that. So right now, what do you see for yourself? You you've been gone how many years now? Oh gosh, I've only lived back home. Um, really for about six-ish years. Um, while my daughter was quite young, we, we lived back in the States. But when she was seven, we moved, we moved back to Spain again. So it's been a long time. And what do you see for yourself? What's your five-year plan? Oh, gosh, that's a long time. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking um, a rebel their five-year plan. Now, that's not a good question. No, no, no definitely I'm, I, I, I wouldn't mind staying here in Kuala Lumpur for another two or three years. I, I really love the vibe of the city. It's quite exotic, but, you know, I can step over to the Ritz and have champagne brunch and then walk around the corner and get a rock and shawarma, you know, from some back alley with all locals. And, and I love that vibe. Um, it's a good home base here in Southeast Asia. And then after that, I, I have this fantasy and I, I, I can actually tell you, I, my daughter and I were having Christmas and New Year's in Prague one year, and we were in the cinema watching, the, it was when the movie Australia came out with Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman, and we were watching that, and I was just, my, like, my heart was beating for Hugh Jackman, and I decided my end game goal for retirement is to move to Australia to find some sexy Hugh Jackman rancher. <laughs> Some place with amazing satellites, so I have kick-ass Wi-Fi, and I'm just going to write books, which is what I'm starting to do now, too, and enjoy my days with a gorgeous Australian with an amazing accent, and that's how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. 
All right. Well, we're checking in with you in five years from now because we want you to manifest that. Well, I think that's the perfect plan for perfect plan for a girl like you who's been on the on the road for years. And I'm impressed with your independence because I think so many of us really do feel like we need to have you know, either a partner or a friend or a family with us at all times. And so it says a lot about your inner strength and, and, uh, self-awareness that you're able to just strike off and go for it. And I think that's something that we all want to have a little more of, or at least have it, have a little bit of for sure. Yeah. I I think I take mine a little too far and I'm a little too risky at times, but so far it's, it's not been too detrimental. So, and can you share us real quick any uh, topics of books? Are you writing fiction, nonfiction? I'm just curious. Uh, no, so I, I don't know if in the U.S. you've heard. There's a Syrian man who's stuck in the Kuala Lumpur airport. No, you, I haven't. Okay, so he's on about day 130, 125. And I was the first person to meet with him. Um, he's now quite famous. And he's, I, I've even been on Al Jazeera um, speaking about him. And he really inspired me and I had wanted to write a book about him, but it's so not the right why time. Is, why is he stuck? It's just, it's a really long story. No, no, you okay. have to Google it. His name is Hassan Kantar and it's an amazing story. It's because he's Syrian. He's, he's stuck because the airline he was supposed to travel with wouldn't let him board. And he was going to Ecuador and then in Malaysia, he had already been here and he had stayed, he had overstayed his visa um, by a week or two. And so he can't get back into Malaysia. So he's stuck in the arrivals lounge of the Kuala Lumpur airport. It's wow. crazy. And I had wanted to write a book about him, but because he's doing immigration paperwork right now to um, hopefully move to Canada, it's not the right time. So I'm writing a book um, about power women in Syria. And it's basically around the idea of like, what would I do? What would you do? What would your mother do if she was Syrian when the war broke out? You know, what, what lengths do you go to with to, to take care of your family, to protect your daughter, your son, your, your husband, your uncle, your brother? And I'm, I'm exploring that right now through different stories. That'll, wow. be, fasc- that'll be fascinating. I would, I would love to keep track of you on that. I think that's Thanks. weird. No, no, I'm staying in touch with you too because you are phenomenal and, and I love the energy I soak up when, when we're in contact. So you are well, stuck with me you. for a while. Good. Well, uh, we're, we're happy about it. And, you know, is there any other tips that you might give our listeners about travel or maybe just some of the most fabulous places that you've visited that you say are not to be missed places in Asia? Yeah, well, okay. One thing is that every one of us should do a solo trip. I don't care if you're 19, 29, 59. Um, Even if you don't do it all by yourself, if you have at least a few days, it's a really empowering thing. It, It brings you back to that sense like, you know, when you're a teenager and you have your first car and you're driving maybe on a road trip and, and you have that feeling of, of like, that you freedom. Can't, it's freedom. It's freedom and, and like, oh my God, English again. Um, but, but, Wait, do you know what it is? I have to tell you, I'm relating to what you're saying. And only because my sister and I were supposed to go to Europe together uh, back in her 20s. And she ended up getting a job. I had to go by myself for four days until she met up with me. 
And those four days to this day are probably one of the most amazing things because literally the encounters that happen because you are solo are, are so remarkable and memorable. They are. So what you're saying is very relatable. And until you do it, you won't know it. So thank you for that because I do agree with you. Lana, yeah, have you ever traveled solo? Yes. And you know, like you, I set out with my car and moved from Texas to Newport Beach or California when I, when I was 21 years old. And I remember one of the feelings I remember is just when you're even in the in-between zone. And this was back when there were no cell phones. So no one knew where I was. I love that. (laughs) It was like, I was out there and no one knew where I was. I didn't have to touch base with anyone. I was sort of, it was like I was in the ether. So there's just something about that independence and that being out there by yourself. It was very freeing. I I know the feeling, even though mine was not as glamorous as what is maybe being in Asia or Italy by myself, which I would love to do. uh, I do get that. Yeah, my, my mother came to visit me in Hong Kong, and I had just started a new job. So during the day, she would go out from morning until night, and she came back with these wonderful stories, and just, she had never done that before. Navigating a foreign country, and experiences, and boats, and trains, and ferries, and it's, it's powerful. It's really powerful, and that's just us taking care of ourselves, and it, it, it sets you right somehow. So thank you for that tip. That's fantastic. And uh, once again, tell everybody where they can find you, Angela. Oh, so please do subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's Wander with Angela. And Instagram as well. I would love to, to have more. But I love, Joe Jamie, you're so good about commenting on my posts. And I love that engagement. And it would be wonderful to, to make some new friends back in my old home country. Yeah, come back to your old home country. We're still kicking here and would love to have you visit. Let's go visit her over there. That's the way to do it. I like that plan. No, no, I like that plan. All these links will be in our show notes, and those are at our website, ladiesroadmap.com. Thank well, you we so thank you so much, much for being with us, Angela. No, thank you so much, ladies. That was really, really good fun. I didn't need the wine in the end. I was very relaxing. Yeah, we try to make it relaxed and fun. So, hey, cheers to you. And I hope we hope your knee and ankle heal heal rapidly. And we'll be watching you on Wonder with Angela. Thank you. Would you like to hear about our recommended product of the week? Sure you would. So come on over to ladiesroadmap.com and sign up for our newsletter. It's not to be missed. You'll get our current happenings on Ladies Roadmap and Ladies Roadmap Journal. Don't forget to sign up. Thank you for listening to Ladies Roadmap. And until next week, remember, the greatest part of a road trip isn't arriving at your destination. It's all the wild stuff that happens in between. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Just go to ladiesroadmap.com and click on podcast. It's as easy as that. Or you can subscribe on iTunes. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Ladies Roadmap. And you know what else? We would love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at info at ladiesroadmap.com. We'd like to give a shout out to our amazing music producer, Cam Tyler, at litloops.com. 